Hi, this is Pastor Nelson Mercado. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast from the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. I hope you are blessed by today's message. Our, our kind and loving Father, good morning again. We're thankful for Jesus, our Savior and Lord. We're thankful for the gift of music. Uh, we're thankful again to be here in your presence. And we pray that your spirit uh, may give us understanding of your word and uh, may you uh, help us to practice it. It is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so I um, read about a man who was uh, in his study, in his house, um, reading. He was doing some reading, some studying, and he heard a commotion outside the window, and uh, it, it became louder and more, you know, argumentative, so finally he just couldn't stand anymore, opened the window, and as, he, as it turned out, it was his daughter who was out there playing with, with her friends. And, but again, it became more argumentative. And so he just goes out there and says, honey, stop it. What's, what's going on? And she simply says, but daddy, we're just playing church. Now, this may seem a bit humorous to some, but maybe you say, well, not, not our church. That doesn't happen here in our church, or does it? I recently became um, uh, uh, aware of this phrase, or this is a, a something that's called purple churches. Have you heard of this? It's called purple churches. Nobody's heard of purple churches. Well, uh, purple, of course, is a color, the color that we get um, by mixing the color blue with red, that uh, makes the color purple. Well, I, I, I ran into a, a very insightful and thought-provoking article in Christianity Today. You know, this is a, a Christian magazine that's out there that addresses this issue of the purple churches. I wanted to share a part of this uh, article with you because I thought it was very thought-provoking. It says that the problem is not that people in the church disagree about who to vote for. The problem is not that people get angry, shoot fiery emails to the pastor, and get into uh, bruising fights with other church members on Facebook. And really, the problem is not even that some are suddenly intensely political, though they weren't before. Trusting health experts saying everyone is created in the image of God or preaching on a passage of Scripture that mentions the poor. The problem of polarization, according to the pastors of purple churches, struggling to minister to red Republicans and blue Democrats. This is where the term purple churches comes from. So again, it says the problem of uh, these pastors are struggling to minister to red Republicans and blue Democrats during a divisive election is that people stop fighting. Well, you may see that's good news. But people stop fighting, but what happens is that they part ways. So they stop fighting, but they part ways, and they sort themselves by political preference. Polarization makes it seem like unity in Christ can only come after political unity. Polarization makes it seem like, like partisanship is stronger than the gospel. 
And then uh, they quote a, a pastor, his name is Leroy Lawson, who has observed that the polarization is so deep now. Now, please keep in mind, this is, he's talking about the church. The polarization is so deep now that most churches lean to the left or, or lean to the left or lean to the right, and they think that only left or right can be true Christians. Now, does this ring a bell to you right now? If you're paying attention to what's happening around us, does this ring a bell? Well, I would say that while there's nothing wrong with Christians having an opinion or opinions on political matters and social issues, I am sad to say that over the last year, I myself, just like you know, we see here in this article, I have witnessed the same polarization that we find and maybe expect, and maybe it's natural for us to see out there in the world, in society, that same polarization take place in the church. I have seen it. I have read things that come from Seventh-day Adventists. I have seen and read some things that come from members of the church, same church family. I have seen and read things that come from the members of this church family. So what is the solution? Well, I believe the solution is what Jesus is encouraging us this morning is to love one another, to love, be a loving church, because true disciples love one another. So let's open our Bibles to John 13. John chapter 13. If you're familiar with John 13, you know that this is uh, talking about the Last Supper, the story of the Last Supper. And so it's Passion Week. It's, you know, Thursday, the day before Jesus is crucified. In fact, less than 24 hours before Jesus is crucified. And, and Jesus, of course, as you know, has spent three and a half years with his disciples and, and trying to teach him by, by word, by, by example, by hands-on training, trying to engrave in their minds that true disciples love one another. In fact, um, he thought that this was so important. This concept that true disciples love one another is so important that he decided to make it a commandment. So we read in John 13, 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. I don't know about you, but when I uh, uh, first read this passage, it was a bit confusing to me. A new commandment? I mean, I, well, why a new commandment? I thought the commandments were already given. Um, weren't they given there in Sinai? Yes. And, 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 and furthermore, you know, we know, uh, you've probably heard this, that the first four commandments are, are, describe our responsibility, our duty towards God. And the, the other six describe our duty and responsibility to our neighbors. Our neighbors. Uh, uh, and so this whole issue of the new commandment, what, what, what is it? it well, weren't we not required to love one another? Before Jesus uttered this statement, some people actually look at this and, and they say, oh, see, the Bible contradicts itself because it isn't a new commandment because they were told to, to love one another before, and they would be right. The Bible does say that we ought to love one another. For example, when we go to, uh, to the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, in verse 18, there we read part of the instructions that 
God gave his people on relationships. Luke, I'm sorry, Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. And there the Bible says, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. There it is. Right? In fact, this love that Leviticus is talking about was even to be extended to the strangers, people they didn't know. If you go down further to verse 34, the same chapter, Leviticus 19, 34, it says that the stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you. You shall love him as you love yourself. So then, you know, Based on this, how can this be a new commandment that Jesus is talking about? Well, I'm glad that the Bible explains itself because it continues. The passage says, as I have loved you, that you love one another. So a new commandment I am given to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you love one another. You know, I'm the type of person that um, I learn better by observation. So if you want to teach me something, uh, I, I will learn if I see you do it more than if you just tell me how to do it. I need to observe it being done. This is why I'm so, I'm so these days I'm glad about YouTube. You know, you can go on YouTube and learn to do just about anything. Trust me, because my wife has been, you know, lovingly encouraging me to do things around the house because now she knows how to do it. It's so easy now. YouTube tells us how to do everything. So, so here I, I'm thinking that Jesus uh, understood this about the disciples. They needed some, some uh, example, some observation. He had spent three and a half years teaching them, uh, but he, they, he recognized they needed an example. Because, you know, most people will, will recognize the importance of loving God above all things. But when it comes to loving their neighbors, especially when it comes to loving somebody they strongly disagree with, oh, that's a different story. When you strongly disagree with somebody, you may even justify your behavior. Mm. So Jesus gave them the example, an example of how a true disciple behaves, of how a true disciple lives. True disciples love one another. Love as I have loved you, Jesus said. So how did Jesus love us? What did that look like? Well, let's go to verse 1. Same chapter, chapter uh, John chapter 13 and verse 1. John chapter 13 and verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Meditate on that. He loved them to the end. You know, humanly speaking, Jesus had all the reasons on the world to turn his back on this, on this humanity. When you really think about it and analyze it and meditate, you, you understand that Jesus had all the reasons in the world to turn your, his back on you, to turn his back on me. He had witnessed sin's devastation since the beginning, and now, less than 24 hours later, his own people will reject him. His own people would say, crucify him. And yet he loved them to the end. You know, love, the word love, 
is a, is a word that we throw out very easily these days, right? At least in the English language, this is the way it is, because these days we love all kinds of things, right? I love ice cream. I love Dove chocolate. Hint, hint. You may say, I love Big Franks. Right? You do love Big Franks. I don't. But people say that, right? And, and, you know, we even, you know, just throw the word out and say, you know, when we're just, you know, greeting somebody, we'll say, I love you, man. Right? We, we, we use the word very easily. But in the Bible, in the, here in the New Testament specifically, uh, you know, there are, there are different words to describe love. For example, the, uh, the first word, agapao, I use here in this passage, agapao, this is where we got the word uh, uh, agape, right? This is a verb, agapao, which means, the, it, it, obviously, the sacrificial love. It is the divine love that God had toward his son and toward us. And interestingly enough, this is the kind of love that God expects his people to have for one another. Agapao, that sacrificial love. Then you have phileo. Phileo is uh, an ardent affection and feeling, uh, the type of impulsive love, natural love, human type of love that one has for, say, a friend. Like well, you, uh, you know, you call brother, you say brotherly love, right? Philadelphia, uh, the city of brotherly love, from phileo. Uh, and you also have the word eris. Eris is this kind of sexual, erotic love that one has for a member of the opposite sex. That's a different kind of love. And so the, the, the word that Jesus uses for this new commandment is agapal. Agapal, which literally means to keep on loving because it's in the present tense in the Greek, which means that it's not something that you do once, but it, it's something that you keep on doing. So true disciples agapow one another. True disciples keep loving one another. And there's two things, two things that are highlighted in this story of the Last Supper that describe what this love that Jesus has for us looks like. So notice verses 2 to 5. Verses 2 to 5. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Now, uh, washing the washing of feet was uh, was seen uh, was a sign of humility, and, and in those days, humility was despised in the ancient world because it was seen as a sign of weakness. But Jesus, Jesus was revolutionary in the realm of relationships. Now, 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 again, think about what Jesus just did, because Jesus already knows what the disciples are going through. Jesus already knows what they're thinking. Jesus knows what Peter's going to do and deny him three times. Jesus already knows what Judas is going to do. And in spite of all that, he gets on his knees and as a sign of, at least in their minds, as a sign of weakness, humbles himself and washes their feet. 
Because you see, true love is characterized by service. And Jesus came to serve us. True love is characterized by service. But again, he knows what's happening with the disciples, what's in their mind. In fact, in the book Desire of Ages, uh, page 643 and 644, notice what it says. Speaking of the disciples, there was strife among them. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? This is what's going on with them while Jesus is washing their, their feet. The contention carried on in the presence of Christ grieved and wounded him. The disciples clung to their favorite idea that Christ would assert his power and take his position on the throne of David. And in heart, each longed for the highest place in the kingdom. They had placed their own estimate upon themselves and upon one another. And instead of regarding their brethren as more worthy, they placed themselves first. Another cause of dissension had arisen. At a feast, it was customary for a servant to wash the feet of the guests. And on this occasion, preparation had been made for the service. The pitcher, the basing, the towel were there in readiness for the feet washing, uh, uh, but no servant was present. It was the disciples' part to perform it. But each of the disciples, yielding to wounded pride, determined not to act the part of the servant. All manifested a stoical unconcern, seeming unconscious that there was anything for them to do, but their silence, by their silence, they refused to humble themselves. Notice that she says there was strife among them. This is, these are the closest followers of Jesus, and there was strife among them. There was wounded pride among them. Is there strife among us? Is there wounded pride among us, friends? Well, I'm sad to say that there is. I'm sad to say that there is. We feel so passionate about our causes. Because we believe that our causes is what's best for everybody. It's what's best for the country. It's what's best for Christianity. And because we are so passionate about our causes, we don't care what we say and how we say it. We don't. Friends, this is not what God wants from us. True love is characterized by serving one another. Because true disciples love one another. So one, true love, again, characterized by service. The second way in which love is characterized is shown um, in verses uh, 31 through 33. Go there with me, 31 to 33. After predicting the betrayal of Judas, who, left, who had left to carry out his evil plan. Notice what, what it says, verse 31 through 33. Uh, uh, so when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him immediately. Little children, I, have been, I shall be with you a little while longer. You shall seek me, and as I have said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. 
Jesus would be glorified soon, and in less than 24 hours, he would be crucified, and he would resurrect on the third day. Uh, you know, on the events that were about to take place, he would be glorified. Jesus was about to offer his life as a sacrifice for many. Jesus was about to offer his, his life as a sacrifice for you and me. So when Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, he's talking about a love that serves and a love that sacrifices. This is the kind of love he's telling us that we should love, that we should have for one another. A love that sacrifices, a love that serves. Now it's important that we, we, we think about because Jesus in verse 34 said, a new commandment I give to you. So Jesus is saying, this is a new commandment, that you love one another. But now you say, well, how can he command to love one another? We can't command love. I mean, love is not something you can make somebody do. Love is something that you should choose. But think about this. Why, why, do, we, why do we keep the commandments? I mean, think about it. If somebody were to ask you, why do you keep the commandments? We may have different reasons to say, but I hope that ultimately you say, I keep the commandments because I love Jesus. Because Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments, right? So our obedience should be uh, uh, motivated by the love that we have for him. Because I love him, I am going to do the things that please him. Okay? He, he doesn't make me love you. He doesn't make you love him. But, you know, he has done enough for, for you that, that, that love should spring in your heart and should be natural. Love is something you must choose. So why does he make this a commandment? Well, think about this. If I don't love, it, well, let me, let me go back. If I don't keep the commandments, you know, I can claim all I, I all I want, that I love Jesus. But if I walk in disobedience, is my love real? Not. Right? Well, I can say it all I want. But love has to be the motivation. So, if I claim to be a follower of Jesus, if I claim to, be, to love Jesus, and I don't love my neighbor, and, and, and think about the context of what, where Jesus is saying this commandment. He's talking to the disciples. He's talking to his followers. He's not talking to those outside. He's talking to his followers. If I claim to be a follower of Jesus and to love Jesus, but I don't love my fellow church followers, do I really love Jesus? Not really. It's all words. No action. And so this is why I think he, he, he decided to, to say it's a new commandment. Because if we truly love him, we're going to love one another the same way, in a, in a way that serves, in a way that sacrifices. And if I don't, well, just like, just like you said, if I, if I am you know, walking in sin and living in sin and living in disobedience, do I really love Jesus? You just said, no, absolutely not. Well, if I don't love my, my, one another, if I, if I don't love my neighbor, if I don't love you that way, then... I really don't love Jesus. Mrs. White continues in Desire of Ages, this time page 677 and 678. She says to the disciples, 
This commandment was new, for they, have, they had not loved one another as Christ had loved them. Think about it. The closest followers of Jesus, and they did not love each other that way. Could this be happening to us? She continues. He saw that new ideas and impulses must control them. That new principles must be practiced by them. Through his life and death, they were to receive a new conception of love. The command to love one another had a new meaning in the light of his self-sacrifice. The whole work of grace is one of continual service of love, of self-denying, self-sacrificing effort. During every hour of Christ's sojourn upon the earth, the love of God was flowing from him in irrepressible streams. All who are imbued with his spirit will love as he loved. The very principle that actuated Christ will actuate them in all their dealings with one another. As you see, the, the commandment was new in, in the fact that a new demonstration had been given of that love. And this is what the disciples were now to emulate, to follow that example. It was new in the scope and in the fact that, that its motive power sprang from a new source. As I have loved you, Jesus said. We know that Jesus didn't hold back on his love toward us. Paul says in, in Philippians 2, 7 and 8 because, that he made himself of no reputation, having uh, taken the form of a bond servant and coming in a likeness of man and being found in the appearance of man. He, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. That was that kind of love that he had for us. This is the kind of love that Jesus says his disciples are to emulate because, again, true disciples love one another. And it is this love that proves that we are his disciples. Because you look at verse 35. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. By what? What is this? By this is that love, right? A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. By this, by that kind of love, all will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Conditional statement there, if. So if I love, if we love one another, then we are showing the world that we are his disciples. Do you think it's important that the world knows that? I've said this before, but the fact of the matter is the world is watching us. It's always been the case. But I will submit to you that they're looking closer now. Because we are living in, a, in, in, in a, such a polarized country, nation now, where everybody thinks that their cause is right. And that has creep, creeped into the church. This is happening in the church. Dare I say it's happening here. And the world is watching. You know, I have found that... And, and, I'm, and I'm saying this because, you know, I, I think this is relevant to what's happening in our time. You realize that people, when they're on social media, 
they are more willing and feel more at freedom to, to share things than to say things that they wouldn't say to your face. They wouldn't tell you in your face these things, but all of a sudden in, 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 on, on, on social media and the internet, I can say all I want. And the sad thing about this is that, you know, anything you put in the internet stays in the internet. You, you already know that. And when, when, when we go on social media and are, we're backbiting each other. We're calling each other names. We, we are saying things that, that we should never, never say. People are reading this stuff. There are new believers that are reading this stuff. There are other church members that are reading this stuff. What are we telling them? What are we telling a world that, that maybe people that are looking into Christianity and seeing how Christians are behaving? What are we telling them? These are the followers of Christ. So Jesus says, listen, this is the evidence. When we love one another the, the way I've loved you, that's when you prove that you're my disciples. If, you're don't, if you don't love one another that way, then you're not my disciples. You're just church members. That's all it is. The world is watching, friends. What are we telling them? What are we telling them? We must have love. We must show love. And, and that even, and perhaps even more importantly, when we have strong disagreements. So do we love as Jesus loves us? Are we willing to humble ourselves, uh, in, if necessary, in order to serve our brethren, our brothers and sisters in Christ? Are we willing to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of others? You know, when I think about my family, you know, my wife and my children, I will tell you there's nothing I won't do for them. If I have to give my life for them, I don't have to think about it for a second. I would. And I am sure that you would do the same thing for your family, wouldn't you? Well, aren't we a church family? And if we're a church family, we should be willing to do the same for us, for, for us, for ourselves, for one another. Jesus needed evidence. He needed evidence that we are his disciples because the world out there needs the same evidence. They need to see that we behave like the God that we worship. And if we don't, then we, we can't really call ourselves the followers of Christ, no matter how much we want to. Matthew Henry in his commentary, Matthew Henry is a Christian of yesteryear, but he, he, he nails the head, you know, the, the, uh, hits the nail on the head when he says, if the followers of Christ do not love one another, then not only, not, they not only cast an unjust reproach upon their profession, but they give just cause to suspect their own sincerity. O oh, Jesus, are these thy Christians? These passionate, malicious, spiteful, ill-natured people? Is this thy son's coat? When our brethren stand in need of help from us, and we have an opportunity of being serviceable to them, when they differ in opinion and practice from us, 
and are in, in any ways rivals with or provoking to us, hint, hint, and so we have an occasion to condescend and forgive. In such cases as this, it will be known whether we have the badge of Christ's disciples. The badge of Christ's disciples. This kind of love that Jesus is talking about, the agapao love, service, sacrificial love, is the badge of Christ's disciples because true disciples love one another. So friends, as we navigate the difficult waters of our time, let us remember who we are. We are disciples of Jesus. At least we're making that claim. But in a more general sense, we are God's remnant people. A people that God, a movement that God has raised for such a time as this. Because God, all the way back when he, in eternity past, he knew that in 2020, 2020, when we were going through this, and he raised a movement with a mission. And that that mission was not supposed to stop because we somehow now uh, become uh, politicized and, and polarized in the church, just like the world around us. The mission is still the same. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am always with you, even to the end of the age. That is still our mission. And the best way of us making disciples is by being disciples. And true disciples love one another. And it is amidst, in the midst of strong opinions and differences of opinion that that love will shine with greater light. Let us be different than the world around us. Let us be holy as God himself is holy. By this, all will know if you are my disciples, if you love one another. Do you want to have, do you want to wear the, the badge of Christ's disciples this morning? Is that your desire? Those of you at home, would you want to wear that badge of Christ's disciples? Well, let's leave the bickering behind. Let's shine for Jesus, and the world will know that we're his disciples. Amen? Our closing song is appropriately titled, Love One Another. You'll hear it now. You'll see it on the screen. For God is love. Oh, love. 
We're so thankful that you're a God of love, compassion, mercy, grace. Lord, our world is so full of hate. If we could just love each other the way you love us, what a different world this would be. Help us love God. This is our prayer. Help us love, 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 or love one another. Love one another, for God you are love. Oh, love, oh, love, love one another. For God, you are love. Let us stand for prayer. My gracious Father, when we think about the love that you have for us, it's hard to us for, under, for us to understand that love because we know who we are. We know the things that we have done. And yet you are always there in spite of the fact that we have turned our backs on you. You loved us to the end. The evidence of that is the death of Jesus on the cross that, in which he took our place. He paid our debt. And in spite of that, you know, you uh, 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 have saved us into your kingdom. Lord, you have given us the example of true love. A love that, that, that we must choose to show others. A love that is sacrificial, a love that, that serves. Father, you know, when we, when we meditate on why you thought it was needed, that Jesus made this commandment speaking to his disciples, it's because you knew all along that this is something that is needful, that is needed in your church, among your people, among your followers, that we love one another. Father, we pray that you'll forgive us because in this time when, when, when we, should be, we should be shining for you, we have shown a different, a different attitude in the way we've behaved, in the way we've expressed to one another. Please forgive us, Lord. We confess that before you this morning. But Lord, help us, as the song says, help us to love one another. We realize that this is not something you can make us do. It is our choice. Help us to love one another because we love you. And because we love you, help us to do the same for one another, because the world is watching. And so that we may show that we are indeed followers of a God that is love. That in spite of disagreements, in spite of challenges, the world can do whatever they want, but here in God's church, we are different. Here in God's church, we have the Holy Spirit. Here in God's remnant movement, we love one another because we want to show that to the world because our mission needs to continue to tell the world about a God that is love, a God that wants to save us and has made everything necessary 
to make that possible. So here this, uh, at this moment, Lord, those of us here, those of us uh, listening from uh, our homes, we want to indeed place that badge of Christ's disciples on our breast and carry it, up, carry it with pride. The evidence is that love we have for one another. We will express that in action. We will express that in word. Thank you, Lord, for your willingness to forgive us and your willingness to help us in this journey. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. If you're ever in the Nashville area, come and visit us at the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. We're located at 2800 Blair Boulevard in Nashville, Tennessee. You may also visit us at nfsda.org.